Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked Jesus. The kingdom of of the Jews had long since crumbled. The dynasty lost. You go to the Old Testament, God made this covenant promise with the people of Israel. And after the time of judges, when things weren't getting better, they thought to themselves, if we only had a king, everything would be great. And so they begged and they begged God. And God was jealous because he was their king. But they didn't recognize it. They didn't think in those ways. And so God gives them Saul, and Saul fails, so he gives them David, and David's throne becomes a throne which is to be established forever. And though his reign lasts roughly 500 years, if you go through his dynasty, through his lineage, it too crumbles by the attacks of Assyria and Babylon and beyond. So now they rest in the the empire of Rome. God had promised, he had made a promise with his people this would be an eternal kingdom. And not just some small nation, one among many, but a kingdom which would be an empire, which would include all people, would be from shore to shore, an international kingdom. All peoples, all all languages, with many subjects and vassal states, like, like Rome, but even greater. Yet now it was in ruins. And many had come and tried to overthrow the Roman Empire, Jews and others, had tried to, to create uprisings and rebellions and to, to get under, from underneath Rome. But they were all crushed. And Jesus answers this not with an answer, but with another question. He says to Pilate, Do you say this of your own or have others told you about me? Did you come up with this idea? You can imagine the narrative the Jews and the chief priests and other leaders in the Jewish establishment were weaving for Pilate. Pilate hears this one. He claims to be king of the Jews and he's going to try to overthrow you. He's going to cause trouble in your providence. You're going to lose your position of power. And not only that, he'll try to overthrow Caesar. This narrative to make Jesus become this this evil force that, that posed a threat to Pilate. And so Pilate should try to take care of it. And so Pilate answers him. He says, I'm not a Jew, but your own people handed you over. You're supposed to be king of the Jews, and the Jews are the ones who handed you over. What have you done? Perhaps Pilate's looking for Jesus to make a confession of some wrongdoing, to turn back, to stop. Or perhaps Pilate's looking for Jesus to deny that all the things said about him are are lies and falsehoods, and, and he should just let him go. But Jesus has no crime to confess, no wrongdoing that he's done. What has he done? What a great question. What has he done? He's come to earth. God came to earth. He took on flesh. He came here to establish his kingdom, a kingdom which he says to Pilate is not of this world. But as we can see through the genealogies in the Gospels, a kingdom which is of the seed and of the seed of David. The dynasty that was thought to be lost 500 years prior is still here now and it's eternal. It is God taking on flesh to establish his throne. And perhaps even more important than what have you done is what he will do soon. As he will now go to suffer, to die. In order that he may rise and ascend to the right hand of the Father and reign for all eternity. So Pilate says to him, then you are a king. Ah, you say I am a king. 
Of course he is. If you like it or not, if you, if you want him to be or not, he is king. There was no vote, there was no election. He's king de facto because he created all things. John will say all things were created in him, the word made flesh. And through him there's not nothing that exists that wasn't made through him. And he, king of all the universe, invites us into his kingdom. So often Jesus talks in parables. He'll say the kingdom of God is like. One of those is the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. And the master brings his, or sends his servants out to bring all the people on the streets in to enjoy all the pleasures the kingdom has to offer. And that's God's call upon our life that has brought us here even this morning. To receive pleasures not of this world, but pleasures greater than anything this world can offer. If only we have eyes of faith to see, to believe, to hope. He came to give witness, give witness to the truth. This truth, that God is king and God has taken on flesh. God has come. And he says that everyone who is a lover of what is true gives ear to his voice. And we know, because Jesus says elsewhere, those who hear his voice follow him. Follow him in his kingdom. And just beyond the reading today, Pilate then asks this one question. He says, so what is truth? What is truth? And a lot of times I've thought about that as, as a philosophical question, as the Greeks may ask. You know, truth is subjective. Your truth and my truth, they can all be different. We live in a world that loves this idea of subjective truth. The truth is whatever your whim makes it. And we even have this great internet thing that that allows us to find people who agree with us. And so we can feel really good about anything we believe because we can find other people that believe it too. So it must be true. It's not truth. There's only one truth, and that's Christ. But I think maybe Pilate and someone I was listening to this week challenged me to think of it in another way of how Pilate may have asked this question, what is truth? And maybe perhaps he asked it more in a, in a sense of what is truth compared to power and authority? What is truth compared to armies and weapons? What is truth compared to money? I mean, what politician has ever won an election with the truth? What person has ever come to power with truth? What war has ever been won with truth? No. It is the wielding of power and weapons, these things we wield so well with money. Do you think Pilate came to power because he was a truthful guy or Caesar? No, they wielded the weapons of the world so well that they crushed everyone else in their way to come to where they were now. But Jesus is challenging this and saying, I am the truth. Here before Pilate and the crowds who wish to condemn him with lies, the truth is enfleshed. The word of God incarnate, he is the truth, the true one, the only one, the truth, the way, and the life, as he talks about himself. He is the king who has dominion over all, who has dominion over Satan, the great deceiver who would tell us many lies, the great divider who would lead us astray, the prince of death and darkness who seeks to keep us from God. Jesus is the king of the Jews, but not just the Jews. He's the king of the Romans, and he's the king of Americans. 
He's the king of all the universe, all the creation. Sometimes we live with this impression that that Jesus can be king of part of our life. You know, we love to create little partitions in our life. We have our our social life. We have our our family life. We have our work life. We have our, our church life. And we chop our lives into these nice little sections and we pray that we can keep them that way, that they would never touch or mingle, right? But, but Jesus doesn't want to be just king of part of your life. As if we could welcome him in to maintain a small part of our lives. You know, Jesus, I'll give you this little corner of my land. Or take this hour of my week or even a day of my week. Or Jesus, you can have this room of my house. Or this part of my mind or, or this moment in my life. But don't you dare enter the other parts. Don't you dare enter my work week. Don't you dare enter my evening out. Don't you dare enter my parenting or my bedroom. Don't you dare enter into those dark places, those hidden places in my heart, those doors that we close and we hide from the world and even ourselves, those doors which forever shall remain shut. Don't you dare enter there. C.S. Lewis would say it this way. He said, we, we love to invite Jesus into the formal rooms of our lives. You know the formal rooms, the, the ones that people will see if they come over. So we make sure they're really clean and prim and proper and look nice so people think nice thoughts about us. We love to have Jesus enter into those rooms of our lives. But we refuse to let him enter the parlor. You know, where the cigars are smoked and the scotch is drank and the cards are played. and the Right? Jesus, don't you dare go there. And if that's the case, then he's not our Lord and he's not our King. I think we get unsettled by this business of Jesus wanting to be King of all of our lives because we're afraid of what he's going to do or of what he's going to ask. We're afraid of what he's going to find. And we've been so hurt in the past by times we've been vulnerable and opened our hearts up to other people and they've just ran over us. Or we have felt such sorrow because we've used other people instead of treating them like children of God. Or we thought we could manage those dark places of our heart, that we could, we could control them if we just, just tried a little harder. Next time I'll be stronger. Next time I won't give in to temptation. Next time it won't rule over me and be my king. I'll stop it. And when we fail enough, we just try to ignore it. But it's still there. That sin, that habit, that darkness we keep going to, it's still there. But, but Christ comes in with all tenderness and mercy to wage war. Not against us, but the evil one who has found a home all too comfortable in our own hearts. And when Christ remains there, wherever he remains, sin, death, and the devil can no longer live. His kingdom will not appease them. His kingdom will not allow them. His kingdom will not stand them or abide by them. His kingdom will destroy them. The king expels the evil one and evil itself eternal so that our hearts are ready and waiting for the king to enter for Jesus Christ himself to dwell so that what Paul says can be true. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
If we are simply playing around with Christianity, if we simply are just dabbling in this whole Jesus thing because we, we like some of his ideas or some of his words, then he isn't our king. We're missing the point of Christianity. We don't get to control where Christ enters into our life. He has all dominion. We do not get to welcome him into our kingdom. But rather, all of our lives, all we are, are already fully contained in his. If we recognize it or not. His kingdom is eternal, everlasting, universal. A kingdom of truth. In order to guide all people into the truth. Which simply means to guide all people to God. The one true God. For God is truth. Jesus desires to invade your life and bring you into his kingdom as his children, as members, heirs of the royal family. Is Jesus king of your life? Is he king of your family life? Do you allow him in all your rooms, not just the formal rooms, but the messy ones, the kitchen, the bedroom? King of your finances where we're spending our money. King of our work. Are you in a job where, where you're doing things that are ungodly? And you have to seriously maybe look at it instead of justifying it and say, well, it allows me to provide and feed my family or even give to the church to say, I can't remain here and be a faithful member of the kingdom of God because what we're doing is wrong. Or being a voice against injustice in our own workplaces? Is Jesus king of your mind? Do you think deeply about your faith? Do you, do you read books about your faith and seek to grow in knowledge and understanding of your God? We fill our minds with so much trivial knowledge in this world. But do we fill it with the knowledge of God so that in all moments we would be able to give a defense of our faith and cling strong to the hope we have in Christ? Is he king of your spiritual life? So that it's not just we come here and we, and we join together and we worship when it kind of works out, but no, it's, it's something you hunger and you need and you desire. Because you find this is a place of, uh, to receive the gifts of the king. Far too often we're absent from his kingdom because we're too busy, distracted, chasing after the other pleasures of this world. This is the end of the church year, and after all has been said, and after all that has been done over this year, after all you've heard, and all you've participated in, after all we've celebrated together, and all we've mourned, after all we have given, and after all we've received in this place, in our homes and in our lives, all the gifts, the good gifts of the Father, one truth remains, and that is that Jesus is King. Lord, God, and flesh for us. And so we're going to pray in a moment, may his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that, it's not some abstract idea. It is his kingdom coming into our lives, into our homes, into our families. So that as Joshua said, me and my family, we will serve the Lord, for he is king. Even when God gave kings to, to the Israelites, to David and Saul and Solomon, 
He was always king and is always king. To him belongs all power and glory and dominion now and forever. He is Lord and God now and forever. Who is, who was, and who is to come again. Our king is coming. May we wait for him with joyful hearts. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.